one of the significant purposes of the coming of Jesus was to deliver us from the power of fear. In case you're not aware of it, fear has a very destructive power. And in this stress-filled, nervous, modern world you and I live in, there are a lot of folks that are burdened down by fear. It actually affects all classes of people. Young and old and rich and poor, educated and ignorant, everyone is affected by fear. When you think about it, fear takes on a lot of very different forms. Often, we fear ourselves because we don't understand our own strengths and we don't understand our own weaknesses. And we are afraid of others because their lives so often have an impact on our own lives. And sometimes we're afraid of the past. Oh my goodness, what if people find out about that? Or we're afraid of the future. What's going to happen next? We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of poverty. We're afraid of death. With this universal feeling of fear, let's notice one of Jesus' sayings, one of His greatest sayings concerning conquering fear. It's not found in the gospel narratives. But rather it's found in the opening chapter of the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is on his island prison of Patmos. And he was afraid in the presence of the Lord. And being afraid in the presence of the Lord, John fell down before him as one who was dead. And it's at that point we find the words of our text in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. This book, And this book alone is the one book that can tell you and me how to conquer fear. Throughout the Bible, there are two words. Two words that stand out as twin peaks of giant mountains. And those are the words, fear not. Do you remember way back in the long ago when we read about God telling Abram to leave his father's house? Abram had come to the promised land at the direction of God, and Abram had prospered greatly, but Abram had no child. Listen to what we find God saying. It's in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. God spoke to Abram. He said, Fear not, Abram. For I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. It's a generation later we find God speaking to Isaac. Isaac has gone back and he's reclaiming some of his father's land that has been lost to Abimelech. He's redigging the 
wells of his father, wells that had become clogged with debris over the years. God says to him in Genesis 26 and verse 24, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Now listen to it. Fear not, for I am with thee. It's a generation later. Jacob is in a dilemma. He's wondering what to do about the invitation to move to Egypt. And here God speaks those familiar words again in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 3. And God says, fear not to go down into Egypt. Many years passed. The Israelites are being led from Egyptian bondage. And once again, those comforting words come. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Fear you not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Even later, Joshua is leading the people into the promised land. He's meeting the opposition of the Canaanite nations. And again come the words of God. Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1. Fear not. Neither be thou dismayed. Beloved, I've only gotten to Joshua. I could go on and on like this for a long time going through the Word of God. Because throughout God's Word, you find this familiar phrase over and over and over again, Fear not. It's heard throughout the Bible continually until we read it in the text in the closing book of the Bible that we read just a moment ago. And that's when the Lord spoke those words to John on the Isle of Patmos. What are the greatest fears of mankind? The three greatest fears of mankind have to do with life and death and eternity. Did you notice in our text that what Jesus says to John deals with all three of these? Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I am He that liveth. Jesus said that in relationship to life. Then He said, And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He said that in regard to death. And then he added, And I have the keys of death and Hades. And that, of course, has to do with the endless eternity beyond the grave. Let's be honest. Let's be honest before God. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with each other. In a changing, confusing world like we live in, the right way to live is not always easy to find. And once we find that right way to live, it's not always easy to follow. Because we are constantly in the presence of great mysteries. And we are constantly in the presence of great unknowns. And man's way is often difficult. And as we look around us, we find that life is being lived at a rapid pace in our day and time. It almost seems as if life is being lived at warp speed. I remember 
been nearly half a century ago now. But I was working at First Federal Savings and Loan of Marshall. We had a state-of-the-art computer system. And that state-of-the-art computer system was the latest thing on the market. It did banking in real-time transactions. And it took a room, 30 feet by 30 feet, it took a 900 square foot room to hold that computer system. I carry a phone in my pocket that will do more than that computer in that 900 square foot room did 50 years ago. Life is being lived at warp speed. And as life becomes more hurried and more complicated, our need for the guidance of Jesus Christ comes even greater and is even more urgent. Because it's only, only when we have the guidance of Jesus Christ in our lives that you and I can have the security and certainty that enables us to overcome fear. Let's face it, we are so dependent upon others. And I think that's one factor that causes us to be afraid. Think about that in terms of driving down the interstate. Because when you drive down the interstate, you are in a sense placing your hands in the lives of other people. People totally unknown to you and to me. People whose attitudes and behavior can be totally different from our own. How do we know that the guy that took the exit ramp and turned it into an entrance ramp and is coming at us in the wrong lane, is he high on drugs? Is he drunk? The guy that's tailgating us and and getting so very close to us, is he drunk? Is he high on drugs? Is he mean? What's going on with this person? We are dependent on other people. We don't live apart from people in our community. We don't live apart from people in our state. And in this day of violence, with all the violence and man's inhumanity, the man we see on the television and we read about, do we not sometimes feel the uncertainty of our own safety? Do we know when we go to bed at night That our house is going to remain safe and secure until the morning light wakes us? When we go about our daily routine, we can't be certain anymore that we're not going to be the victim of some mad act by some lunatic nut job in a Walmart or a shopping mall somewhere, or as has happened in many times in recent years, even in a house of worship. You remember what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 14, verse 7? For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. That very fact causes us to be afraid in this world today. But fear also comes from the fact that we must face the great responsibilities of life. And sometimes those great responsibilities of life come sooner than we want them to. The responsibilities involved in school or in marriage or in our vocation 
or in living up to the expectations of our loved ones. Living up to the expectations of our friends. Sometimes those responsibilities can be very great and weigh very heavy on us. We're called upon to behave like mature adults when a lot of times we really feel like acting as children more than anything else. You remember reading the story of Moses? God appeared to Moses out of a burning bush. God told Moses, He called Moses, He said, Moses, you're going to lead my people. You remember what Moses did? Moses protested. He said, I'm not eloquent. God, I'm not eloquent. I'm, I'm slow of speech. I've got a slow tongue. He protested. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want that responsibility. We would have expected that Solomon would have been quite self-confident. He would have been a man ready to be king. And yet when that time came, we find Solomon not quite ready to assume his duties. In fact, we find Solomon saying in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 7 that he's but a child and does not know how to go out or to come in. And it's because of the uncertainties of life. It's because of the burdens of life that we see so many that are just ready to give up entirely. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. I was reading on this and I read of a young girl who was unsuccessful in her attempt to take her life. And after she, her unsuccessful attempt to take her life, she was interviewed by a caseworker. And she was asked, why, why did you want to do it? Why did you want to bring your life to an end? And she simply answered, I was afraid to go on living. In addition to suicide, we find people finding other ways, trying to turn to other ways to avoid responsibility. Some turn to heavy drinking. Some turn to drugs. Some turn to preoccupation with amusements of every kind. Let's be honest. Men and women of the 21st century often want to hide from reality. And in one way or another, our fears lead us to seek some form of escape. But in all of this, in all of our fears, in all of our desire to escape, we hear Jesus as He says, Don't be afraid. I'm with you always. We hear Jesus say, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Whether we admit it or not, all of us feel an uncertainty and an insecurity in the presence of death. Our world is a world that's preoccupied with death. When there's a mass shooting or there's a terror attack of some kind or someone 
takes their automobile and uses it for a weapon to run people down in the streets. It's given a prominent place on television. I'm getting in Leon's field of expertise here, but there's an old newspaper slogan. I remember this from those days. If it bleeds, it leads. Did I get that right? The meaning, of course, is this. The more tragic the news, the more prominent its placement. If you have some lunatic nut job that goes wild and starts shooting people up, it's going to be above the fold of the paper. So when you pick the paper up, that's the first thing you're going to see. It's going to be the lead story on the news at 6 o'clock. Because the meaning of that expression is the more tragic the news, the more prominent its placement, and the more you're going to hear about it. How often do we pick up a newspaper and the first thing we do is turn to the obituaries? Who's died? And do we like like to see pictures of mangled automobiles on the news, on the internet, or in print? We feed on that kind of thing. No subject is more widely discussed. And no subject is more respectfully heard than the subject of death. And when death comes to a close friend or a relative, we feel its impact with a double force. Everybody, everywhere, unless they have a great faith, and unless they have a close relationship to Jesus Christ, feel the threat of death. I want to read from the pen of the Apostle Paul over in the 1 Corinthian letter, the 15th chapter. I'll read verses 25 and 26, 55 and 57. For he must reign. Till he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember hearing an old preacher say one time, talking about members of the Lord's church, he said, our people die well. And that means they face death with courage. Through the years I have observed that real Christians that I have known grow old gracefully and face death with faith and face death with a calm courage. I'll always remember my own mother's final moments. As she was laying in a hospital bed in our front bedroom, hospice had told her to hospice had told us to expect the end to come for her sometime that day. It was about eleven o'clock on a Monday night. They'd told us how to watch her breathing patterns change. We thought she was actually comatose. She hadn't said anything for several hours and had not responded to anything we said. And Norman, Matt, and I were around her bedside, and I thought I detected a change in her breathing patterns. And I said to Matt, I said, Sonny, do you still have your stopwatch? He said, yes, sir. 
I said, check her breathing patterns. And this woman that I thought was comatose opened her eyes and looked at me and she said, are you timing me to see how long it takes me to go? I said, Mother, are you going somewhere? Yes, I am. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to be with God. That's facing death with faith and with calm courage. And you see, the difference for the Christian is that Jesus is with us. For the Christian, Jesus is with us in life. And Jesus is with us in death. Now look at the final part of what Jesus says to John in Revelation. He said, I have the keys of death and of Hades. That word keys means authority and control. Jesus has authority over death and Hades, the abode of the dead. You remember what we find Jesus saying in John 14, verses 2 and 3? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. The description of that home Jesus is preparing is in Revelation chapter 21. Go home this afternoon. Read Revelation 21 again. Read the description of that home Jesus is preparing for the faithful child of God. And you'll find it's a most, a most appealing place to live. To share the blessings of heaven with God. And to share those blessings with the redeemed of all ages. Folks, that's a very appealing prospect. The idea of immortality is not a dead creed. It's not an empty speculation. It's not merely an intellectual curiosity. It's a fact. And it's a force. And it's a great moral dynamic that lifts life to higher levels. It provides a goal and a purpose for living. The very nature of man demands immortality. And the instinct of immortality is the prophecy of this fulfillment. Think about that. In all of nature, where do you ever find instinct falsified? When a baby bird is hatched, the presence of wings is a prophecy that that bird will fly. When fish are spawned, the presence of fins is a prophecy that they will swim. And similarly, the deathless learnings of humanity, the yearnings for immortality that appear to be universal throughout the human race are a prophecy that we will live in an eternity that is to come. It was Job of old who asked the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? That's in Job chapter 14, verse 14. And then we read of Job's faith in Job chapter 19, verse 25. Because you know what Job said there? I know. I know that my Redeemer liveth. James tells us in James chapter 2 and verse 23 that Abraham was a friend of God. And death did not dissolve that friendship. 
the crowning evidence for immortality is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lived, He died, and He rose again. And those who knew Him best in life saw Him dead. And then they saw Him alive again. There was a time, you can read about it in history, when people of the old world dreamed of other continents beyond the borders of Europe. No one had ever seen them, but people spoke about them and people wrote about them and they dreamed of their discovery. And eventually, Columbus and others dared to go beyond the safety of the eastern Atlantic and ultimately discovered what they called the New World. Now, I realize it's an inadequate comparison. And yet, you and I, mankind, dreams of a world beyond this one. It was after the death of Lazarus. Jesus spoke these words to Martha. John eleven twenty five and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, tell us about it, Lord, he shall never die. Our fears are allayed. Our lives become calm and confident as we trust the promises of God and follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We have an assurance and a certainty of how to live and how to solve the problems of life. And the closer we follow Jesus, the less fear we feel. It all begins when we become Christians. It all begins when we are fully and completely a child of God. It all begins when we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives. When we do that, then and only then will we be able to live a happier, freer life in the years ahead. Until that day we hear Jesus say, Well done, good faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if Jesus is Lord and Master of your life this morning or not. But if there are changes you need to make for Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life, come and let us help you make those changes as together we stand and while we sing.